Hi, this is Jason Cascarino. Welcome to the third season of the Lessons in Adolescence podcast, a production of the Remaking Middle School Initiative. You can learn about Remaking Middle School on the web at remakingmiddleschool.org. Now, here's this episode. Hello and welcome to the Lessons in Adolescence podcast, where we explore the many facets that impact young adolescents in the middle school years, from the adverse to the awkward to the awesome. I'm your host, Jason Cascarino. Today, for the launch of our third season of the podcast, we have part one of my conversation with Johari Harris, Assistant Professor of Educational Psychology at Kennesaw State University. Jahari is also the director of Educating for Democracy, an initiative housed at the University of Virginia designed to combine the science of adolescent learning and development with the teaching of critical histories and supporting justice-oriented civic engagement. Important efforts for young adolescents who are thinking more and more about issues of race and racism and how to address them. And I really want to make the distinction between race and racism because I I think particularly today, too often when people hear the word race, they think about racism and they're two very different things. And we can, research keeps telling us, practice keeps telling us, like if you talk to a middle schooler, you know they're thinking about it. They're thinking about race and what it means to them. They're thinking about racism and what it means to them and their role in it. So rather than ignoring it and, and shying away from these conversations, how can we do it in a supportive context? In part one of our conversation, Jahari and I talk about her research on the impact of social identity and cultural values on the development of social and emotional competencies among young adolescents of color, and how to best partner with educators to support the teaching and learning process while producing research that is relevant and usable in classrooms, as well as how to teach effective anti-racist curriculum. In part two of our conversation, we will talk about the Educating for Democracy project, the resources that teachers can use in their classrooms to expose students to the many narratives that make up American history and civic life, how young adolescents are absorbing current events around the state of democracy, and how to inspire them to be engaged citizens to shape a more just future. Part two will be released next week. Now, here's part one of my interview with Johari Harris. Johari, it's a delight to have you on the podcast. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be part of this right now. Well, I'm really eager to dive into some of your research and your current work, but I wanted to sort of first start about, first talk, talk about some of your early pursuits. You know, before joining the ranks of higher ed, you spent a good chunk of your early career in K-12 in the classroom. And it looks like your point of entry was the Harlem Children's Zone. Tell us a little how you got your start in the world of education. Yeah. So um, I, I will say, and you know, bringing it back to my childhood, I grew up in a very Black political family. And it was always about how can you serve and support the upliftment of Black people in America. And it didn't matter which avenue you chose, but it just had to kind of be towards that aim. And that's what got me interested in education. I actually thought I'd be a lawyer. But I saw a 60 Minutes episode with my grandma on Harlem Children's Zone, <laughs> just wow. randomly at her house. 
And I love this idea of like wraparound services to support the whole child and the ways in which they treated education as this human right. And how do we humanize children in the process? And I was like, I have to be a part of this. Like, I, I really didn't have an idea, but I just like started showing up at the office and saying like, can I volunteer? How can I support? How can I um, be a part of it? And this um, individual, his name was Bernard. And I just happened to like run into him while he was leaving. It, it really was serendipitous. That's what I feel like. Um, I ran into him and he was like, oh, okay, like we can figure something out. And that's how I got it connected to Promise Academy too and Harlem. And I stayed there for three years working in kind of the elementary school space. And I, and I just loved it and got connected to kind of education as this very liberating force for all children. From there, I moved on to New Orleans and taught um, upper elementary school there. And while like my original dream is like that, like 20 year old, I was like, I'm going to open my own charter school and replicate it throughout the world (laughs) and change the world one charter school at a time. It was interesting because in New Orleans, I was like, oh, there's like, there's some bigger issues at play than just like academic outcomes. Like, you know, my students were really struggling, you know, and these are Katrina babies in many ways. And so they were struggling to be kind to each other and and engaging in each other um, in in positive ways and treating themselves in positive ways. And so that kind of shifted me away from the academic space and more into this social emotional piece of like, how do we support our students loving each other and loving themselves because they can get all the you know, test scores and A's in the world. But if they're not nice to each other, what are we doing? (laughs) So I got really into SEL and and I was fortunate to teach in South Africa. And that's when I, so I was like upper elementary school in New Orleans. And then in South Africa, I was middle school, even though there, they're kind of middle schools attached to high school and kind of embedded in this culture. And in the culture there was this very, like interconnectedness and this very kind of like collectivism support of each other and themselves. And that's what I really entered grad school with about, you know, I had this practical knowledge of, you know, what it means to be a classroom teacher, what it means to serve schools and families and communities. But I really wanted that kind of theoretical underpinning related to social emotional learning. And importantly, what the role of culture plays in it. Because when I first started in the classroom, nobody was really talking about SEL. It was all about the achievement gap. And then once I entered graduate school, it was about SEL, but this very kind of um, value neutral SEL of, you know, get out your empathy tool, <laughs> you know, how do, how do teachers, how do you like talk about your emotions? And it really left like students cultural backgrounds off the table when I really believed and saw how it's central to how we engage with each other. So connecting to this bigger picture of what I think I was always really interested in is this idea of citizenship of like, how do we engage with each other in this world? And how do we treat each other kindly and and, in equitable ways to make sure we maintain um, a just world? Or I would maintain, we're not quite there yet. How do we create a just world to then maintain? Um, So yes, that's kind of my evolution to where I'm at now. That's a great articulation of that of that arc and the motivations and so forth. And you may not know this, but you and I have at least one thing in common, and that's we both had the good fortune of being Fulbright fellows. Um, You did years in, in South Africa. So are you is it was it your experience that in South Africa there was much more 
interconnection or intertwining of SEL and and academics than than the experience here. You know, the knock on SEL here is a it's sort of relegated to kind of like this separate thing that's sort of carved off as opposed to more sort of integrated. And there's some debates in SEL about how that should be should be done. But in South Africa, it sounds like it's more sort of integrated and maybe has more of the cultural components to it. So I was in a black township school in Kaimandi and Stellenbosch, and it was definitely like the students brought their whole selves with into the school context. And instead of administrators and teachers ignoring it, it was very much central to the instruction. So yeah, they didn't have to have this like standalone class of like, well, this is how we talk about being kind because they would talk about in these, you know, the regular classes, like this is what we do in our community. This is what we do in our culture. We give back. We And, and this kind of speaks to this larger piece of the African diaspora where this kind of interconnectedness and um, communalism is really central to many cultures. I think in South Africa, what I saw is they were just more rooted in that. And it was much more central to um, how they engaged with each other and how they engaged with their teachers and the respect for the elders like that wasn't something the school was teaching them it was something that was just embedded across context that the schools just went on to capitalize on and so that's what got me interested in how do we do that here and how do how do we not ignore because we see these same underpinnings and and communities particularly communities of color out here and so how do we how do we build on the assets of youth rather than um, saying we need to deposit things within them. Mm. Well, let's focus a little bit more on your research then, because uh, I think it's a good segue. At least most recently, I think this is fair to say, it's the research interest is around social identity and cultural values, their influence on developing social emotional competencies among adolescents, particularly African-American youth. Uh, and you've done studies involving both girls and boys. I'm curious a, a couple things. Maybe articulate your interest in adolescence as a sort of time period and why it's a good spot for the particular research interest that you have. And then secondly, what are some of the big questions that you're working to address uh, in your in your research? Funny story. When I first started in like my class, you know, as I said, I started in elementary school and I never thought I'd want to work with middle schoolers because they, they can be tough. <laughs> like I, as a 22 year old, didn't have the thick skin to withstand some of their jonesing, uh, joning on me. <laughs> so I just never thought it. But honestly, when I was in graduate school, I did a lot of kind of research, particularly in the out of school space with adolescents, with middle schoolers specifically. And seeing this theory and then in practice, just the kind of social and cognitive growth they were going through between, and I, I was really privileged to follow the same group of kids from fifth grade to eighth grade. And so I was able to kind of really look at and be a part of the ways they're thinking and complexities, the ways they're becoming more embedded in these social networks and have this greater understanding of the world around them and how what their role is and how they can change their community for better, change their peer networks for the better. Um, that really got me interested in about, you know, we we talked a lot about high school, we talked a lot about like that PK3 systems, but I, I realized like in research, there wasn't a lot about specifically middle school as a time frame, And so that's what got me really, really interested in this time frame as 
something that warranted exploration. And, you know, within middle school too, identity becomes so salient. And as I've kind of talked about is race and racism is central to my work. And so what does that mean during this time frame where it's so much more immediate Then it's not to say kids aren't thinking about it in elementary school, but they're thinking about it much more deeply in middle school. And, you know, how do we engage in it with kind of through the say social emotional lens in a transformative way to support their resistance for liberation and support their resistance against these harmful stereotypes and harmful narratives that we be know becomes much more immediate within the middle school context. And I really want to make the distinction between race and racism because I think particularly today too often when people hear the word race they think about racism and they're two very different things and we can research keeps telling us practice keeps telling us like if you talk to a middle schooler you know they're thinking about it they're thinking about race and what it means to them they're thinking about racism and what it means to them and their role in it so rather than ignoring it and and shying away from these conversations how can we do it in a supportive context and so that's really what you know my work is focused on and that's what educating for democracy as a project is really looking at how do we engage kids in conversations and developmentally appropriate ways that make them feel like they have agency and what are you finding in, in your your research and also the, the programmatic development pieces? I'm interested in knowing like how this sort of paint me a, a picture of what this actually looks like in, say, a classroom or in a school. How does anti-racist curriculum manifest itself or what was actually happening? Uh, what are the what are the lessons involved? What are the activities involved? You know, I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the context we're living in right now, where there's laws and legislation being passed, essentially banning anything that remotely resembles talking about race and racism in schools. Um, when it comes to how it's being implemented in classrooms, I think middle school teachers are understandably hesitant and, and understandably concerned about, you know, not just their own kind of safety and their own kind of say job security but also like not wanting to do harm by students and so there's I would say timidness to this work um, when it comes to doing this work in schools I've seen and even with educating for democracy you know I've encountered a lot of practitioners teachers in particular who are like I love this I really want to do it and I'm afraid that I'm going to get it wrong I don't want to cause undue harm to students some of times this work can look more surface level, because I think a lot of people, when they think about anti-racism, they're thinking about, like, you know, someone, like, standing on a podium shouting the, like, tenets of critical race theory at the students, you know, which is actually not anti-racism. To me, you know, to do, say, anti-racist work, it's not to say, denigrate white Americans, which is often talked about in that context, or it's not to make kids feel helpless that the system's built against them. I think for me, anti-racism is just like, how do we expand narratives about different communities? And so we have just narratives about 
different groups of Americans and the ways they've changed the world in positive ways. And so one of the lessons is looking at white Americans who have been activists for justice and who have worked alongside people of color fighting for what's right. And so to me, that really kind of pushes back against narratives that, you know, say position white Americans as oppressor, Black Americans as oppressed, because that's a binary that doesn't really serve anybody, particularly middle schoolers as they're thinking about their role in these movements. And so I, I think anytime anyone's doing this work, it, if it was easy, it would have been done already. I'm also sort of fascinated by, and I think our audience too, that are among teachers and, and educators of all sorts in school and out of school, how this type of research is done, the work that you do to sort of get a better understanding, particularly when you're thinking about or trying to examine or study behaviors, you know, pro-social behaviors, or I know you've waded into the perceptions and interaction with incidents of like harassment and, and so forth and, and, and how, and, and all these sort of layers of, of context uh, around, around race and how, how young people, as you were sort of mentioning, navigate that sort of social environment. How do you even sort of begin to study that? Do you collaborate with teachers? Are you in schools? Are you in, you mentioned out of school settings and so forth. Like, where does that happen? I think for me, um, it's really about just like building those relationships with teachers and and schools and and letting them know, you know, I'm very much here to be a support rather than to be a critic, so to speak. And that's, what's opened the doors to these conversations with middle schoolers around issues of say, sexual harassment, emotions, interpersonal relationships. It's really about like, you know, for if I take for example, the um, I did a study with black girls that looked at sexual harassment. That actually what, I didn't go in with the research question. Um, the administrators approached me and were just like, we're having this big issue at the school with the boys approaching the girls in these really inappropriate ways. And we would love some insight. We would love your support. And I was like, okay, here I am. You know, it really, I, I cannot stress enough. It has to be about partnership. It has to be about like mutual collaboration because while, and I, I remember saying this to the teachers, like I have say some expertise in this space, but this is your space. And I don't know your space nowhere near like you do. And so, you know, rather than just like doing like, oh, this is what you need to do. It's like, what can we do to best serve the students? Yeah, that's a great example of that uh, research practice, practice research. You know, you have expertise, they have expertise and how that sort of blends together. I think, you know, educators have a natural impulse to want to understand their students as well as they can, you know, so that they can connect with them. They, they make sure that the students feel supported and that they are heard. And, you know, those things are really foundational to teaching and learning. But it really sort of speaks to the utility of research. You know, you can kind of talk very conceptually about social emotional learning and all these sort of words that educators and researchers use. But at the end of the day, that's really kind of what is driving. And there is that that sort of firm utility of the research and in, in how the learning about adolescents really kind of inform uh, educator practice and their and their approaches. Yeah. And I would say like I I'm so grateful that I had the time I did. I would say before I entered graduate school, I probably had like seven, eight years of like experience in the classroom because 
it not only informed my research, it really made me committed to this kind of translational approach of like, what were the things, what was the information I wish I had in the classroom to serve my practice as a teacher? And, and what are the approaches that most benefited me? And, and, you know, I remember as a teacher, those PD sessions where I loved it. And I was like, oh my God, I'm going to implement this right away. And those PDs where I was like, ah, this lady clearly has no idea about like what I'm dealing with in my classroom. And so that's really just informed, you know, my work of like, none of this, none of my research matters if it can't affect classrooms in positive ways. Like, you know, I, I don't need say, you know, the seven people to read my articles if it's not affecting you know, these schools and communities and, and really supporting education becoming this liberating space that, you know, I was raised to believe it was. That was part one of my interview with Jahari Harris, director of the Educating for Democracy project. You can learn more about Educating for Democracy online at educatingfordemocracy.education.virginia.edu or on Facebook and Twitter at CRPES. UVA. In part two of our conversation, Jahari and I will talk in more depth about the Educating for Democracy project, its various resources for educators, and how young adolescents can be engaged, justice-oriented citizens. Look out for part two of my conversation with Jahari Harris next week on the Lessons in Adolescence podcast, where we feature conversations with researchers, practitioners, program developers, and advocates for young adolescents in the middle school years. Recently, we recapped season two of the podcast in two recap episodes, which offered highlights from conversations in our last season. Those are available wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for joining the Lessons in Adolescence podcast, a production of Remaking Middle School, an initiative that seeks to transform the learning and development experience for young adolescents in the middle school years. Remaking Middle School brings together good educational practice in school and out of school with the latest developmental science. You can learn about Remaking Middle School or find more resources about the topics of this podcast on the web at remakingmiddleschool.org. The Lessons in Adolescence podcast is produced by Abby Gillespie and me, Jason Cascarino. Editing by Paige Waterhouse. You can listen to or download each episode at the Remaking Middle School website, on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Thanks for listening.